Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Now beside me is a fellow named Matt Tykerup. Matt is, we're part of, the, of a family of churches. We're part of a group called the Baptist General Conference of Canada. And our particular um, wing is the Baptist General Conference of Saskatchewan. Uh, Matt has been longtime pastor at a church in Birch, Birch Hills Lake Park. And uh, we have, he just accepted the call to be our district minister amongst our family of churches. So he's kind of like the pastor to the pastors. And so uh, we wanted to get him on stage. He just actually started here uh, in July, like not very long ago. So we thought, let's get him on stage here right away. And, that's, and, and they've moved to Saskatoon. I, I believe they're going to make this their home church. And if not, I'm going to put the pressure on them right now, make this your home church. And you're in for a, a treat this morning. So Matt, I want to pray for you and then come and share with us. So Father, thank you so much for, for this man for his heart for ministry, for his heart for people, for his uh, understanding of you and your word, for his desire to know you and to know your voice. And I pray that your hand of power and anointing would be upon him in this moment and that you would just guide him as he speaks. And I also pray, God, that you would guide us, that we would be active listeners and that you would stir in our hearts the things that we need to know and understand. We thank you, God, that you convict us of our sinful ways not as a mean father, but as a loving father who wants to restore us. And so even this morning, God, if we need to be convicted, would you do that for us? And so may your hand of blessing be upon him, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Matt to our stage, please. Well, thank you, Pastor Layton. It's, it's so good to be with you as a church. I, um, I am so thankful for Ebenezer Baptist Church. I. Um, Pastor Layton and I, you know, we've been in this district for so long that it seems like we know so many different people over the years. And uh, not only were we to, are we together here in this district, but we started off together in the same ministry prior to being pastors, and that was at Torch Trail. I wasn't on staff at Torch Trail, but he preceded me in being involved there in ministry, and then my wife Teresa and I took over after he and uh, Kent Little left the scene and were directing the camp there. And you know, as a second service, you get the treat of meeting my wife. The first service didn't. So my wife Teresa is here, and uh, so great to be a part of you as a church family. Like Pastor Layton mentioned, we are looking forward to calling this our church home and uh, serving and ministering with you as a church body. And uh, there will be times when I'm going to be away, seeing some of our other churches, and, um, but that's okay. I'll, I'll come back and get to see you and, and meet with you and, and worship together and serve. Uh, like Pastor Layton had mentioned, uh, whether you do know that or not, we are a part of other churches here in the district. So we have 12 churches in BGC, Saskatchewan, along with the partner churches through Ebenezer, and uh, it's a great family of churches. And I have some priorities that I've been looking forward to as I've been seeking the Lord about this and, and the ministry that he has called us to. And, and the first priority is, is crucial to me that BGC Saskatchewan uh, would continue to be strong 
and that pastors and leadership are cared for and encouraged. Uh, my vision isn't only, though, for BGC churches. Uh, there are a number of churches within Saskatchewan that are independent, and that is fine. It's no, I'm not saying anything against that. That is, that is cool. God has called them in that sense. But along with that, they are feeling that they need some encouragement. They need support. And I've been in touch already with three churches like that in our district, and also a president, uh, interim president of a Bible college, and just knowing that they, they need support and offering that to them if they want it or not, that's up to them. But it, it's good to know that, that we can be together in this ministry and that we're not, uh, we're not at odds, we're not out there trying to pick apart this is our turf, nobody else can be here, but we're looking forward to encouraging the gospel presence within our province. And that's what is, is dear to my heart. A second priority is that we build the community and fellowship of our district churches. I'm so grateful for the strong leadership of our district overall, and then also in our churches. We have some great leaders and great pastors in our churches. And like our uh, national leader had talked about, Kevin Schuler, uh, he talks about the fact that we are better together. And that's, that is so true. And I would like to ask you to be in prayer for our churches and of our district and also for the gospel presence of our province, that it would grow and continue to be strong. And uh, the third priority is I want to thank you as a church family for your faithful prayer. Uh, we need to be a not only a church of prayer, which I know that this church is striving for and engaging in. That is awesome. We also need to be a province of churches of prayer, seeking the Lord together in that we would see the movement of God going across our land here and then offer it to the rest of the provinces and to the nations and looking forward to that. The other part of that is, of course, there's the financial support that is needed. I, um, I'm so encouraged by Ebenezer and the support financially that they have been to our district. And if it wasn't for churches like Ebenezer, like you as a church family supporting the district, I couldn't be here. And uh, I don't have a congregation that, that uh, you know, financially supports this, but the churches are the congregations that support this ministry. And if you as an individual sense that, you know, I, I, I have this heart for the gospel going forth in our province, and you would like to support that, I encourage you to ponder that, pray about it, and that you would give yourself to that. Uh, I was also going to mention the fact that if, um, if you are here today and, you know, you've moved into the city, but you are from a smaller community, and if you know of a smaller community church within our province that you think, I know that pastor, I know that leadership, they could use some encouragement, uh, just, just let me know, or you can let Pastor Layton know, and he would communicate that to me, where we could offer that to them. And not that we would go in and say, we're going to be this for you, but just have a connection point. Uh, the future of the ministry of our province looks good. It is encouraging. And so I pray that you would look to that and give yourself to it. Now to the message. We're in a series called The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery. And if you're thinking, well, this could be interesting, or this might even be awkward, or might even be tense, well, thanks, I'm the one preaching. 
uh, Pastor Layton asked if I'd be interested in preaching sometime in the summer, and I said, sure, I, I could preach sometime, you let me know. And, and then he said, how about August the 14th? And I said, sure, is there anything in particular you would like me to preach on? I didn't hear from him for a little bit. And then he said, sent me a text, said, well, actually, August the 14th, it's on do not commit adultery, so good luck with that. <laughs> I'm glad it's you and it's not me. No, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. He actually said, Matt, this is what's happening. Uh, I get it if for your first time preaching in our church, uh, you would prefer not to be on that topic. I can preach. I'll be here. I prayed about that, and I told him I was going to pray about that, and, you know, God gives opportunities for a reason. Not doesn't mean that every time something comes to your mind, you've got to say, oh, that must be something I've got to do. But as you go to prayer, I want this to be a teaching moment for you. As you go to prayer and God provides you an opportunity, don't look at it from the perspective of, oh, I guess somebody needs to hear this. Look at it as an opportunity that maybe God wants to speak to you. Maybe there's something he wants you to learn. And so I come to you this morning not because I've got something to offer you, which I do, but just it's not all about you. But God speaks to me by his spirit as I give him the opportunity, as he speaks to you. It's not just to me, but he speaks to anybody who is willing to hear his voice. So we're going to get going here. Now, before I get into this, I just want you to understand something about who we are and how God has made us. Every person on the planet is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I want to share with you a couple of verses that help us appreciate this and understand this. And so the first one, we go all the way to the beginning of humanity. And it says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. That is, he formed his body and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word breath is the same word spirit. And the man became a living creature. Some of your translations will say a living soul. So there you have body, spirit, and soul. And each part that you have been created with has a specific purpose. God created your body so that we could physically experience and interact with creation. He created us with a soul so that we could experience emotion while we are interacting with creation. You get to feel the joy, but you also get to feel the pain. You get to experience this emotion, and it's because of your soul. He created us with a spirit so that we could connect with him and have an engaging and intimate relationship with him. No other living part of creation on earth has a spirit for the purpose of connecting with God except for human life. All three parts, body, soul, and spirit, are important, which is why the Apostle Paul said this in a very familiar doxology, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit 
and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, keep it blameless, that means there's the potential of it getting corrupted, of it going astray. And so he says, keep it blameless. Your and my spirit, soul, and body are to be kept that way until Jesus returns. Now, knowing you have been created with these three parts is very useful for many areas of your life. And you're going to see that as we look at this topic for today. Now, to direct our thoughts today, I would like for you to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. And then we're going to, at the end, I'm going to have us change our focus a, a bit in this. Still in the same theme, but we're going to change our focus, and then we're going to wrap up with another passage that we will get to. So let's start. You can follow along in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth that there seems to be two main poles that are grabbing for their attention in their society. Food and sex. Now, can you think of any other place in the world where these two poles are grabbing for people's attention today? <laughs> I heard that. Everywhere. Your world. Your world has, is doing that. Your world is, is pulling and trying to grab your attention with those same two items, food and sex. But listen to me carefully. There is nothing wrong with either of those in their right context. But just take note sometime how both of those are used to grab your attention every day. Every day. Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then continuing in verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Paul's response to that question is very emphatic, never. He's talking about committing adultery with the body. Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. I want to pause there for a moment. The reason Paul is targeting this so directly and specifically to the people in Corinth is because in Corinth there was a cultic temple that was set up to the love goddess Aphrodite. The temple employed a thousand prostitutes. Many of these prostitutes were slaves. Slave owners had these slaves working on their farms, working on their, in whatever it was that they were employing them to do or using them as slaves for. But as a farming community, 
The farmer wanted to make sure that they had every good possibility of fertility in their land. And so what they would do is they would take some of their slave ladies, women, give them to this temple of Aphrodite and say, use them as slaves for what you need and hopefully Epaphrodite will give me good fertile land in response. And so these women were used as prostitutes in the temple. Being a temple, they were known as priest, priestesses. So who do you think is showing up to the temple? It is also believed that if women were struggling with fertility, that they could go to the temple and give themselves to a man for money, give the money to the temple, and hopefully Epaphrodite would increase her fertility for bearing children. So men aren't just showing up at the temple, women are as well. And we hear that and we think, how evil and twisted is that? But that's how Satan works. He has always worked that way. He has always worked in the sense that he's going to use what God intended to be good, and in this case, in the context of marriage, in order to grab people's attention, drawing them away from the worshiping and living for God, and then break up the greatest relationship between two people on earth, that is the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. As well, altering their relationship between God and mankind. That's his goal. Right from the very beginning, that was his goal, and he's been on that mission ever since. Paul's not finished writing his thoughts. He continues in verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple, not the cultic temple of, the, of Aphrodite, but your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Through sexual immorality, you sin against your own body because you are defiling the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. What my goal for you here at this point is to help you understand that we, understood, we understand now that God has created us with the body, soul, and spirit. I want to help you understand that we can commit adultery with our body and with our soul, and when we do, it affects our spirit. So we're going to start with the most prominent way that we can commit adultery, and it comes up in this passage. It's the most obvious, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but it is this. We can commit adultery with our body. That's the negative perspective. But the fact is, God made your body and all of mankind to be capable of experiencing sexual intimacy. He created you and I and all of mankind this way. This he did from the very beginning. After all that had been created, which included man and woman, he said of all that he created, it was very 
good. He also told the man and the woman to go and multiply. That doesn't mean go do some math. <laughs> okay, you got it, I think. <laughs> now, I understand this is a private part of marriage and is something we just don't talk about. I get that, and please don't think I'm trying to cross any boundaries. But we need to talk about it in the church. It is being talked about in our world, is it not? It is being talked about loudly, very specifically and intentionally, and it is twisted, and it is getting more ungodly by the day. We need to understand God talked about it. It's okay to talk about it. And we talk about it in the context of the scriptures and how he has created it to be. Now, the simple fact is that in the context of marriage, God, God created our bodies to experience this kind of intimacy and he created male and female uniquely for this. Outside of that context, when the body and how it has been made is used for this kind of activity, outside of the context of marriage, it's called committing adultery. Now, some will say, well, is it really adultery if a person who is not married uses their body for that kind of activity and intimacy with another person who is not married. And they stop there. I've also heard, and this comes out of lives within the church, where they will expand on that. They'll say, so is it a problem if as a Christian, single Christian, I give myself in intimacy to another single Christian and our intent is we're going to get married. Is that adultery? Well, no, it's not. But it's sexual immorality. And I could expand on that and I, can, and I could share with you what happens when you do that. And if you're in that position today and you've been pondering that or that's been your life, there's so much more I could say about that, but I don't have time. But understand, Paul in his letter here is saying, don't defile your body. The, the, our passage, Paul says, this is called a sexual sin and it includes adultery. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18, 19, and 20, flee from sexual immorality. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify God in your body. Now, the most obvious and prominent way that we commit adultery is with our bodies, but we also are made with a soul, and we can also commit adultery with our soul. Paul doesn't use the word soul in this passage, but he does show us how the soul works in this context. So I want you to see this in verses 15 and 16, and as I'm reading it, I've underlined some for the purpose of emphasis, and then we'll get to understanding it. 
So he says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? No, look at this. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. What is being emphasized is, the, is that committing adultery doesn't just happen. I've heard people say, I don't know how it happened, but before we knew it, we were in the motel room together. Go figure. I just, it doesn't make sense, but blink, I, there I am. No, it didn't just happen. What did happen is a decision or a choice was made of taking the members of their body and making them join to another person. When this happens, the part of the person that makes that decision is not their body, but their soul. And the soul is the part of us that consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And when we make decisions based primarily by our soul, and it's not leaning in the direction toward godliness, what inevitably is going to happen at some point is we will sin. If it has to do with the sexual part of our being in relation to another person, we are in danger of committing adultery or sexual immorality. Now you may think, though, that sounds kind of strong. I mean, that, that almost sounds, it might not necessarily be true. But understand again what the soul is made up of. It is made up of your mind, that is what you think. It is made up of your will, that is what you want or desire. And it is made up of your emotions, what you feel or what you want to feel. And the soul is very critical. It's a very critical key part to you as a person. If what you are thinking, wanting, or feeling is not focused on that which is godly, you are heading in the wrong direction. And this is why we get into troubling situations. This is why we get ex into experiences that are sometimes very humbling when they are found out or when they're discovered. We make decisions based on what we think, what we want, what we want to feel, instead of making decisions based on what God thinks, what He wants, and what He feels, or what He wants us to feel in relation to Him. And this could not be more true than when a person commits adultery. The soul, with its sinful nature, is in charge. Proverbs 6, verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Some other translations say he destroys his soul. Why is that? Because he lacks sense. He wasn't using his soul properly. He wasn't thinking right. His will, what he desired and wanted, was in the wrong direction, or his emotions were all over the map, and he wasn't feeling what he should have been feeling in relation to God. It destroys his soul. It's never the same. So when it comes to committing adultery, sometimes all three parts of the soul are engaged at the same time, and then sometimes it's only one. For example, adultery can be committed with your mind, 
In fact, there, before any physical adultery happens with the body, it starts in the soul. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28, when he said, You have heard it that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that is, has let his mind go to places it shouldn't be going, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, a guy would say, well, I was just looking. Right. And what did your looking cause you to think, want, or feel? And, and this is why Job said in Job 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Now that word gaze is not just looking. You know, oh, I noticed a young lady. Not just looking. It is looking that has turned to long for, desire, fantasize. And Jesus says, once looking has gone that far, the person has already committed adultery in his mind. And all of that has happened by a look. We can commit adultery with our body, we can commit adultery with our soul. And when it happens, it affects our spirit. At the end of verse 16, Paul says, For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Where was that written? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the context of marriage. When Paul was quoting those words in 1 Corinthians 6, it was the context of a man joining with a prostitute, that is, committing adultery. The two will become one flesh. And it doesn't matter if the man is single or married. It doesn't matter if the lady is single or married. If he or she gives her or himself by way of their soul or both their body and soul, they become one flesh with whoever it is that they have given their soul and body to. And it impacts their spirit. And when a married man or woman does this, something happens in their spirit toward their spouse and toward God. And you know what happens? There is a leaving. Now, we think of leaving as a positive thing. You know, when an individual gets married, even on their wedding day, the pastor may refer to a passage from Matthew 19, verse 5, where it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast that is cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a leaving. Now that is seen as a positive because it highlights what a healthy marriage relationship is supposed to be like. It is not supposed to be the couple and parents. It is supposed to be the individuals as a couple and their allegiance and commitment to each other. Now I know that as a parent, sometimes that's tough. On the wedding day, you see your baby getting married, and some of you are that baby. <laughs> you're that baby that's getting married, or you just got married, and, and your parents are saying, oh, my baby's getting married. She's going to leave. 
That's healthy. It's supposed to be that way. God created it that way. It's okay. But there is also a sense of leaving that takes place that we often don't think about. We leave, when we leave someone to cleave to someone else, there is this leaving that takes place. And the spirit of the person is impacted. When we leave, we leave someone behind. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul was getting at this when he said, well, we're going to get to that in a moment. But in marriage, when a man and woman become one with each other, the result is they leave their parents. Not just physically by moving out, that comes along, but as they live with their spouse, their parents become less and less of a priority. Not they don't love you anymore, but they're not your number one. I've seen this with our children. We have a great relationship with them, but Teresa and I know that we are not their number one. When a married person enters an adulterous relationship, and this is where Paul was going in 1 Corinthians 6, they leave their spouse. Not in the sense of moving out, at least not in the immediate, but in spirit. Their spouse is not their number one. The spirit has changed. The principle is the same, whether in the positive with a couple that is just getting married or with a person who's entering into adulterous affair, it's still the same. And the, the principle is this, in order to cleave to another person, there is a leaving someone else behind. And when it is in the form of adultery, it is the leaving of the spouse that happens. Their spirit has been affected toward this person, their spouse. Pastor Layton was sharing with me how important it is for us to understand that God, through his word, revisits these commandments from time to time. It's not like, he, uh, like, the, like God put it out there every time in the same format, but you, you're reading a portion of scripture and you see this commandment surfacing and how he's bringing our attention back to it. And Pastor Layton was showing me a passage from Malachi. And I found it interesting that when this comes up in Malachi, it comes up in the context of marriage relationship and not so much in the adulterous relationship. However, it could go there. And it shows us that. And look, look at what these verses say. Malachi 2, verses 15 to 16. Did he, referring to God, did God not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? He's referring to his Holy Spirit. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let, and let not, or none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorce her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. In other words, don't be unfaithful, for when you are, it affects your spirit toward your spouse. I wish I could tell you that every wedding that I have officiated, that every one of those marriages is still together, but I can't. I wish I could tell you 
that all of the couples that attended the church that my wife and I were pastoring at stayed together. But I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is that of some of the couples that are not together, and the reason why is because one of the individuals committed adultery, what I can tell you is the innocent individual, the one who was cheated on, they can tell you when their spouse started the affair. Not when it was happening, because they didn't know. But when they find out, they look back on what their marriage was like. They, look, they go back even before their marriage. They go back to the time when they first met. They go back to the time when they dated. They go back to the time when they were engaged. And nothing could have broken that relationship. They were just so much in love. They go back through all of those reminiscing of, oh, this was my spouse. This is the relationship we always enjoyed. This is what we had. And then all of a sudden, one day, it changed. And they'll say, what changed? They'll say, that was the day their spirit left me. They know. They know. They can tell you the year, maybe even the month. An individual after the first service came and talked to me about that and just shared with me how had a conversation with a person this past week. And this person was crying and saying, this is what I just discovered. This is what I found out. And he said, the person said to me, this is exactly when it happened. I know it. We need to guard our spirit. The same is true when we commit adultery against God. Did you know that you can do that? So now I'm going to change our focus. Adultery doesn't only happen sexually, it also happens spiritually. We leave our relationship with God when we become one with others or something else. One in the sense that they take that supreme authority, that one priority, and that priority is so strong that it pulls us away from God. This is close to idolatry. That was commandment number one. But this has to do with our spirit. God gave us our spirit. Why? So that we could be in an intimate relationship with him. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We become not only his children, but we also become part of his family that is known as the church. And when we become a part of his family, the church, the scriptures say we are the bride of Christ. And if we as individuals of his bride go after someone or something else in a negative sense, in the sense that we are giving our body, we are giving our soul to that or it, whatever he or she, whatever that may be, and it pulls us away from God, we're committing adultery against him, and it changes our spirit toward him. It reminds me of a prophet, Hosea. And here's that last passage that I want us to focus on as we wrap up. 
If you don't know the story of Hosea, just go to the Old Testament, find that book of the Bible and read it. It's a fascinating story of God's love and passion for people. The people of Israel had left God. They, they had gone after other gods. They had gone after other cultic and religious practices. They gave themselves to another and when they did that, they left God. And so God asked Hosea to do something that would be a living example of he himself, who God, he wanted to say, Hosea, I want you to represent me, and I want you to show the people of Israel who I am. So God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Not have a, an affair with her. I want you to take her as your wife. And after he did that, and they had children together, she left and went back to her life as a prostitute. And God said, that is exactly what Israel, my wife, has done to me, their husband. And then he said to Hosea, we're not finished yet. What I want you to do now is I want you to go, and I want you to show them through this and tell them what's going on. I want you to go back, and I want you to buy back your wife, the prostitute. Buy her back, and you tell the people of Israel, I will do the same for them if they would just repent, if they would just leave their other gods and their religious practices, their other lovers. I'll take them back. Now, from this, we learn four incredible truths, and with this, I'm closing. First, we learn about God's character. Regarding his bride, we who are his church, he is a jealous God. That comes up in the second commandment, where it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And going further with that, in Exodus 34, verse 14, it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That's not only God's character, it's his name. God does not want to share us with anybody else. He doesn't want us to run off to some other lover that's going to pull us away from him. Something or someone that says, I can offer you more than God can. I can satisfy what your body and your soul really desires. I can do that. God doesn't want us running after that. At first, we may think, well, you mean like some other spiritual leader? Or you're thinking about some other religious or cultic teaching? Well, sure. But it could even be more practical and everyday than that. What about your work, your possessions, your money, your leisure time? Or that person that you are dating or maybe even engaged to? And they've taken that number one position in your life, or whatever it is in your life, it's taken that number one position, and it's asking you to leave. Leave God. I've got you covered. Now, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm in church, aren't I? I, I haven't left God. I, I still show up on Sundays. Okay, that's fair. That's great. I, I'm so glad you're here. And I know that the staff here and others around you are so glad that you're here. But remember, what about your intimacy with God? How's that going? 
God gave you a spirit, remember, to connect with him and have an intimate relationship with him. And Paul said, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So what's your intimacy with the Lord like? Are you still one in spirit with him? The second truth that we learn from God, Hosea, the people of Israel, as well as the prostitute, is we learn about our character, and that is we have a sinful nature. We are always looking for something, or in some cases, someone better. Someone or something who we think has and is willing to give me what my body and what my soul really desires. Now, I, ha I have no idea where any of you are at in this area of your life. In the church that I pastored for 26 and a half years, that was different. But even then, I didn't know about everyone. I don't know, for example, if someone here today is committing adultery on their spouse and their spouse doesn't know. I don't know if someone here today is in the process of cleaving to something or someone else and is contemplating leaving God. What I do know is that the reason why this is possible, it's your character. It's our character. We are selfish. We are so easily, we so easily become dissatisfied and the sin nature of our soul begs, begs to have fulfillment. The third truth we learn from God, Hosea, and the people of Israel and the prostitute is we learn instruction. God used Hosea to teach by example. We, the bride of Christ, are instructed to be living and teaching by example. Instead of trying to satisfy our body and our soul, we need to rest in knowing that God has and will provide all that our body and our soul needs and requires and draw closer to him in spirit. And then we need to consider how we can be that kind of person in someone else's life. By example, how are we doing in our life where we live in such a way that we are drawing people and their spirit closer to God? And then lastly, this fourth truth, we learn of a promise. God will forgive and take us back. It's a promise. I know that um, if I wouldn't have gone to this point, there may be some here this morning or watching online who are thinking, oh, they just feel shame. I don't want you to feel shame. God loves you. And he's not only jealous for you, he is passionate for you. And his greatest desire for you is if you have, if you have left him or you're in the process of leaving him, his greatest desire is, I want you. I want you in my life. I want you back. I want to be your life. So if you're sensing that you have left or are leaving God and you want that intimacy back, you can come to him and you can seek him. He is a merciful, gracious God.
So what I'd like to do is pray with you. And um, if you would please bow your head and go to prayer with me. I just want to ask you a question for you to ponder. And maybe you can answer it now or maybe not. Maybe you need to ponder it some more. But as you're in prayer, think of this question. How has the Lord spoken to you today? Is there some kind of response he wants from you? God did not give the Ten Commandments to rule your life. He wants them to give you life. And he knows that he has made you body, soul, and spirit. And out of love for you, he is guiding you so that your spirit can stay in an intimate relationship with him. Lord, I know that by your spirit you have spoken because you have promised that your word will never return void. And so, Lord, I pray that however you have spoken to any individual here today, whether it's a word of encouragement or maybe a word where they're just feeling like, okay, I sense now God is calling me back. I pray that they respond. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.